Hello Internet, my name is Walter Seades Fedchuk, and welcome back to the first episode for 2022 of the Final Cut Podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, 2021, we, we came in there towards the end. Uh, there were a lot of movies that came out uh, in December of, uh, of 2021, and we still have a bunch of them. Uh, to talk about. We still have quite a few of them. We also have one from a little bit earlier in the year um, here to kind of get into the end of January um, that we're going to get to because we just never got to it. Um, so it's a little bit of a catch-up month here as we go into January and February uh, to get all of the cinema that we did miss at the end of the year. And there is no one that I would rather talk about these movies with than my good friend and podcast co-host, Chase Redshirt King Wassener. Chase, how are you doing on this lovely, lovely uh, January 2022 day? Yeah, I mean, when y'all are listening to this, we are fully in the new year. I I believe by that time, of course, the future will be in a very bright spot. All of the things that we're concerned about will be fixed. Um, everything's going great, I'm sure, uh, without even checking the headlines. Um and it's it's gonna be a good time. No concerns for ex or existential dread here. Not on this podcast. This podcast, it's fun films all the way down. Um, and we got a we got a fun film today. I, I will say I'm excited to hear where you come down on it. But I I, I would say fun is probably the operative word for uh, today's film. That that word is doing a lot of work in that sentence, Chase. You you've really emphasized the word fun a couple of times there. <laughs> See, I would have asked you how your holidays were, how your Christmas, how your New Year's was, but uh, thanks to the magic of podcast editing, we are still recording this in 2021. Space is warped and time is bendable, my friends. Something something Doctor Who. <laughs> I forget the line, so I just always say, eh, something, something, David Tennant, and that, that answers the question. But yes, the fun movie that we are speaking of today is The Harder They Fall, the uh, American revisionist Western uh, movie that has been on Netflix. And I'm, I'm going to come out and say it because I don't want to kind of dawdle on my thoughts. I love this movie. Uh, I think fun is not doing it enough justice. I thought it was a fantastic film. I thought it was fun. Uh, it was a very well done, simple story. Um, I was very excited when we kind of added this to the list of podcasts that we were going to record. I think you said like a whole bunch of sentences describing the movie and all I heard was, and it has Idris Elba. And I was like, yes, I'm on board. I don't care. Anything with Idris Elba in it is like crack to me. So I will watch that movie. Uh, but Chase, like we normally do, First things first, thoughts going into the movie, expectations, kind of give us your your broad strokes of what you thought about The Harder They Fall. Well, going into this film, I had already seen the film we're talking about two weeks from now. And so the bar was high for me for a Western-themed film. And I look at this cast, and it's what, what a great ensemble of people you know idris elba regina king um jonathan majors uh lakeith stanfield there's a lot of good people on this cast and it's just it, it is always appealing to me to see genres that have been predominantly 
focused on a singular type of story or a singular point of view to get a completely different point of view from. Uh, with Westerns, this is a, a genre that's just blindingly white, typically. Um, that's obviously not exactly how uh, history broke down, but it does tend to be just based off of the cultural biases from the era in which Westerns were the most popular genre. You don't get a lot of black voices in Western films. And this immediately latched on to me. I was like, oh, well, this is an ensemble of incredibly talented black actors and actresses coming together to do their spin on a Western. And if what you want from this film is just uh, your classic Western, all of the tropes included, um, but done by talented black, uh, a very talented African-American cast, then you've got it. 10 out of 10, this film does all of those things. I I wanted a little more than I got from this film, unfortunately. Um, but I think maybe that's that's me having the wrong mindset of thinking that everything needs to be an evolution upon what's come before. I, I think what it does, it, it does what it wants to do, and it does that thing well. It's very well executed. Uh, I just wish it was a little bit more ambitious in certain areas. See, I I get where you're coming from, but I think that the, the American Western is a genre very similar to the spy movie and what we discussed with No Time to Die. That the genre is just inherently very simple plot lines. It is a very straightforward story that you tell in those types of movies and sure you can do you can do nuanced and interesting things with them and dig a little bit deeper and have more character development and all that jazz but at the end of the day the best cowboy western story is the revenge story is the someone did me wrong and now i need to embark on my quest for vengeance on on my retribution on my reparations on all that jazz and that is exactly what this movie is it is straightforward from the very first moment a bad guy does a bad thing to a person and then that person sets out over the course of their life to get vengeance on that bad person for the bad thing. Now, I think the ending does give you a little bit of a twist on that genre, although it's not, you know, it's not the most, uh, it's not the most creative ending. Sure, I'll give them that, but it is, it is a little bit different than what you would normally get out of a traditional revenge western film. Is it? I feel like we've seen that twist before. I saw it a mile away. Because it's the thing that always happens with this kind of setup. A lot of things in this film are the thing I saw a mile away because it's always that thing with this setup. That's, 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 I, I, you know, I no, 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 I disagree. I disagree. You want to know why? The why? good guy doesn't die. I mean, that's, there are a lot of Westerns where the good guy doesn't die. How many times do you think John Wayne died, my friend? He only had to die once for it to matter. I mean, sure, but there are a lot of films in which John Wayne made it to the end just fine. I, I, I can assure you, if you go back, you'll find a lot of them where the good guy makes it through. 
That's, I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel bad because I think everyone here did their jobs well. My, my issues are scripting, I think, really more than anything. Um, but let, let, let's get into a little bit more detail on it because I think there, there are places where these things can kind of come to the forefront a little bit. Well, I do think that the the biggest thing you kind of said at the beginning is that this was an ensemble film. And even though I was completely sold on the inclusion of Idris Elba and that was the only thing that I needed, this was a film that was a collective whole. The, The pieces themselves, while good, when they all were together made it really sing. Uh, and, and obviously, this is the story of, of revenge of, of a, a good guy, the Nat Love and his gang, uh, going to wreak his vengeance on the, the man that done did him wrong in uh, in Rufus Buck. And you have all of the, like, traditional tropes that you have in the good guy. You, you know, obviously, Nat Love wronged in the past. You have the love interest... Um, uh, uh, where on my list? Where on my list? Yeah, you have the love uh, interest, Mary Fields, played by Zazie Beetz, uh, who was in uh, Deadpool two, and uh, where else did I see her in? Where else got an Emmy in? for her work in, or got nominated for an Emmy, I should say, for her work in Atlanta. Yes, Ed- series. Atlanta. That was the other one that I saw. Um, you have Eddie uh, Gathegi playing Bill Pickett, who is kind of supposed. He's the sharpshooter of the group, the Dead Eye, um, but also is sort of the moral compass. Um, I remember him uh, specifically for being Big Love in House. Um, that was like the the second he came on screen, I was like, oh my god, that that's the guy from House. Um, and then you had R.J. Seiler, who was playing the, the young upstart, the quick draw, you know, that wanted to prove everybody wrong, that he was the fastest gun in the West. And this was, it was like a young crew. That was kind of one of the things, is that they were all kind of young. They had all been, you know, a gang together. And the big thing was that they were Robin Hood. They were stealing from the thieves uh, to give to the less fortunate. They stole from bank robbers. That was entirely their thing. They didn't kill, uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't rob banks. They didn't commit crimes. They only stole from criminals. Um, Which is like, okay. Like, you're still criminals because you're still getting in gunfights and everything out there. Yeah, but, but they're robbing from mostly white people post-Civil War. And fuck a lot of those, right? Like, the, the the film actually I, I will say does a good job of making sure that whenever people die we understand that it's like oh these were segregationalist assholes or these were you know like former confederate soldiers who murdered an entire town in order to get the money that they needed like it's never a situation in which the people who are um uh the people who are taken out are people that we are meant to empathize with outside of of course uh seeing that love's parents die in the very beginning which we're meant to greatly empathize with because you killed the mom she come on now that's that's breaking the rules you don't you don't hurt the innocence in this and that's why rufus buck has to be chased down right you can't let him get away with with what he did he killed his mom and who he thinks is his uh, kind-hearted dad, you know? Um, kind of classic uh, classic tropes there, to be sure. But it does, it does work. I, I never felt uncomfortable with the people dying the way that they did. It never like, loses its tone or loses its charm 
um, because of that, because I think they do a good job of picking the right entities that the audience can get behind uh, seeing get their just desserts. Yes, they do a very good job of painting um, Nat Love as a very sympathetic character and never showing any any of the members of the gang doing anything that would make you think like they're just they're outlaws, they're untamable. They like they go into the the bar that um, that Mary Fields owns and like he gives up his gun like a gentleman. He's arrested by a uh, by a marshal and like even though they draw weapons they don't fire a shot. Everyone backs back down and defers and are law-abiding citizens. And then, on the other hand, the first time you see the Rufus Buck gang, they're pulling a train robbery. But not just a train robbery. It's also a prison break with a writ of pardon. So it's not even really a prison break. And then they're punishing the captain of like the army that's in charge of the train because him and his platoon murdered an entire village. So they're there to enact revenge on behalf of the government. Wait, are they supposed to be bad guys? It's really helpful and convenient that the Rufus Buck gang uh, is killing someone who we are told after a lot of the violence has already happened is actually quite bad. So don't worry about it. Um, it does, it, it is very weird. I, I understand the idea of like, oh, well, news travels slower in this time. So like, you know, even if you just had the warrant, that wouldn't necessarily be enough. But at the same time, kind of feels like it would be enough, right? Like, kind of feels like you could just wait for him to arrive at his new destination and things would be fine. Like, you're... You need, you need to establish that the bad guys are tough and brutal with their methods, but they also still have to be better than the people that they are killing outside of when they finally start killing innocents later, and so that work doesn't really matter. It's weird. It's weird how they try to play that off, and I don't think it's necessary, honestly. Um... I, I feel like, if anything, it kind of detracts a little bit. Uh, because they keep they keep trying to set this up with the Rufus Buck gang. Of like, oh, well, I believe in what you're trying to do here, Rufus. And I gotta ask you, Walter, what is it that they're trying to do? Uh, Rufus Buck, who is being played by Idris Elba, is mm-hmm. trying to uh, preserve the... The sanctity of the Wild West as a safe haven for the black population. Uh, and how how I read it is that the the town um, that they that he had that eventually is is turned over to one of his uh, former lieutenants and he's made the sheriff and then he's selling it to land speculators from out east, which you are presuming are white folks. Uh, to come purchase mm-hmm. the land and purchase the businesses from all these people. I think it's pretty straightforward. He is trying to create a a safe haven for for black folks to come out to that is their town, their businesses, their land. They own everything. And by they, I mean Rufus Buck. And then Rufus Buck allows all of these other people to live there and operate businesses and, you know, everything else. So cool. 
he settles into sort of the he's a bad guy, but he's kind of justified quotation well, marks. Except for the fact that he just straights up murders a black guy in cold blood who doesn't agree to go along with his plan. So it's not really a safe haven for black people. It's a safe haven for people who agree with him. That's it. Like, he's not... Like, they keep trying to add this nuance to his character, but we never get a sense of, like, why he cares about this town in particular, why it is that he thinks that he understands how to run it better than anyone else that could be put in charge of it. The fact that he's trying to take literally everyone's money away, he squeezes them as dry as he possibly can. And again, straight up murders people who disagree with his plan. That doesn't sound like a very safe haven to me. So, Gotta be honest with you. So this is where I would agree with you that like the script writing does it poorly. Because in my interpretation of it, like, yeah, he's like, he's shaking everyone down. But it comes off to me as like, why does he need this particular dollar amount or this amount of money? And yeah. it feels like maybe that there was a thought of that he was going to outbid you know the people from back east on the town or like something like that that never really gets addressed or talked about or confirmed or anything like that and it is i will say yeah he he murders you know one of the citizens of the town in cold blood but until that moment there's never been a moment where he's like yeah i'm like a wild and crazy you know western cowboy bad guy up until that moment he's very soft-spoken, very straightforward, very... He beat the previous sheriff in the middle of the street with a gun until his teeth pulled out! Oh, yeah, what? That's because he betrayed him. That's because he betrayed him. That is not a calm-spoken dude, my friend. But I, like, while I he's understand. doing that, he's, he's just... He's not, like, screaming and yelling at the guy. He's just like, I'm gonna beat the ever-living crap out of you because you betrayed me, and not only betrayed me, but you betrayed the ideals of the gang and are now selling out everything that we worked for because he, this is his town. He built the town. It's pretty clear in that interaction with the sheriff that he was the one that built the town. He was the reason that all the buildings were there. There's a reason that uh, Regina King, Trudy Smith's name, is on the saloon. That's because that was... Rufus Buckstown. And the only reason he wasn't there running things the way he wanted to be was because this lowlife with gold teeth decided to blow him into the, the posse and get him thrown in jail. Yeah, well, after all those murders that he committed to do it, right? Which we see from the very beginning of the film when he tracks down and murders two people in cold blood, which we understand why he did that later, of course. But like... There is never a moment in which you as a viewer even consider that he would take a nonviolent path or that he was trying to uplift anyone who wasn't directly in his sphere of influence. There is never a moment in which he, for example, tries to empathize with any of the non-gang members in town, has a, a moment in which he talks about how much he cares for them, and the city and explains why he has to do things the way that he does that never happens he gives it the gold tooth to the up. kid he <laughs> yes i if you're saying that the moment of empathy is him telling the kid hey go grab the gold out of the uh, the gold teeth that i just knocked out of some guy's mouth as i'm yelling at you to do it while causing a scene in the center of town so that everyone knows that i am here and to be feared then I, I guess, but like, 
it really feels like that part of the movie could have used uh, quite a bit of a touch up. If you wanted to prevent present him as someone who was very like the ends justify the means, then we should have a real sharp idea of what the ends are outside of, well, fuck speculators. Because we never see the speculators. They're not real as far as the movie is concerned. There's no reckoning with that. There's no moment where the speculators come in and have to be fought off or, or anything like that. It's a throwaway line, ultimately. And it, it's, you know, we're able to fill in the pieces, and I understand wanting to do so because Idris Elba is so captivating as a as a person and as an actor. Like, his presence is such that, like, you can understand from his charisma alone why someone might follow him into battle. But from a narrative perspective, it is weak. And I, I just, I wish that they'd taken more time on that. They, it wouldn't have been, there are some scenes that could have very easily been cut in order to give us any moment in which we could empathize with Rufus Buck, the person, rather than Rufus Buck, the murderer rufus buck the authoritarian rufus buck the you know the torturer rufus buck you know go down the line right um i think and i I missed that i really wanted that i think the lack of emphasis on rufus buck as a sympathetic person is entirely purposeful uh one because he's the villain duh you can't have a sympathetic villain no matter what anyone says that's wrong, but I, but I mean, in this story, like, you can't have a sympathetic villain. It's got it. It's good versus evil. It's got to be very straightforward. Well, when you get to the, the final duel, you have to know who you're rooting for and who you're rooting against. But even further, that lack of any sort of sympathy towards Rufus Buck then makes, to me, that final, like, outcome, that final statement of why he did what he did to Nat Love's parents all the more gut-punching and the final revelation that Rufus Buck is Nate Love's half-brother, that they had the same father. And that uh, that scene just, just doubled me over it, with the, the punch in the gut that it was. And this is when... I, I still want to talk about other members of the Rufus Buck gang because... You brought up Idris Elba's just kind of presence as an actor in general. Um, and we'll talk about how, you know, others in that gang kind of stand up to him on screen. But that scene, Jonathan Majors just, just perfectly plays it. It is, it is Luke, I am your father levels of pain and torment going through him as as Rufus Buck details why he did what he did and what their father was like and the build-up to it as, as Majors, as Love is just like like ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it until Buck says, our father. And then it all shatters. I just, just phenomenal acting performance by both of those men in that scene. Great acting performances. I... It is a moment that I I get 
I get why it's built the way that it is, but it's really where the flaws of Rufus Buck's characterization within the world of the film come to undermine things for me because it did not land the way for, for me the way that it did for you. I, it, it was something I saw coming from a mile away because of course there had to be a connection there. There's no other reason that they would set up the film the way that they did if not to have it circle back around to having a very personal connection there and it explains why Rufus Buck lets him go in the first place and, and doesn't, you know, just take Nat out when he has the chance to do so in his captivity. Like it, it's, if we had come to understand the tortured soul that is Rufus Buck, to understand how much the trauma had informed what had come before, instead of just dropping it at the end and telling us to care then I would have cared. But they, they didn't. They just told us at the end that we should care. And the acting performances are very well done. But it really, to me, the impact that that moment could have was undercut in a way that um, I found deeply unfortunate, to be honest with you. Because, as you said, that moment should be a gut punch. And I'm glad that it was for you. Um, I just... I, I, I didn't have that because I didn't have any investment in Rufus Buck, the person, compared to Rufus Buck, the force of nature. And so it didn't change anything for me. Um, it, it creates a, a cool moment in how they play it out, but I, I don't think it, um, I think it could have landed a lot harder, personally. Um, I don't. Yeah, let's, let's. Let's talk about the rest of the Rufus Buck game because there are some some fun characters in here. Well, yeah, I I think honestly there there's the two of them. There's Trudy Smith played by Regina King, and there's Cherokee Bill played by Lakeith Stanfield. And Lakeith Stanfield is cool. He's he's just yeah. cool. Just in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, in this, he's just a he's cool. He's a cool actor, and what he's been able to do the last couple years is it, just been a lot of fun character work, a lot of good growth. And I'm very excited to see kind of what his career starts to transition to. Does he continue to be this, like, I'm going to be a cool bad guy. That's like the number two. And then eventually I'll, I'll, you know, be the leading bad guy in a few movies or what does a, what does a movie with him as a, like a good guy look like? And just at the end of the day, he's 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 a cool dude. Everything he does seems so effortless. Um, he really kind of evokes like an '80s style vibe and and persona and character. And he's he's just he's the guy that you would see standing at you know on the wall of a, a club or a convenience store with like a cigarette in his hand, just leaning against it, and and. I've said I I can't think of another adjective. He's cool. He's very fun. Um, Cherokee Bill is one of those characters where, like, again, saw it coming a mile away. If you've seen a western, you totally are like, oh right, he's the character that always uh, wins because he always cheats in some way. You shoot someone in the back, he cheats the count. It's what the bad guy in that spot is supposed to do. Um, but he does it so well and so 
with, with such a charisma to him. You know, he doesn't make any claim to be what other people say he is. You know, he pushes back on that whenever it comes up and, and plays on the whole idea of like, well, that flashiness is going to get you killed, which is exactly what happens to, to, uh, the, uh, you know, our, uh, Jim Beckworth, the, yes. the fastest draw, like he goes for the flash and, and Cherokee Bill goes for the kill because that's how you do a good bad guy. It's a great moment. Um, and I, I will say, um, Regina King as Trudy Smith does an excellent job. Her moment in the um, in, in the jailhouse where she's talking to Stagecoach Mary and telling the story about her sister and um, Hope and and you know the the slitting of the throat there that is everything I wanted for Rufus Buck to have before the very end of the movie. Like that is a moment in which you understand the pain that she went through. And why someone who went through that had that upbringing and that understanding of how cruel the world could be could then become that cruel themselves. Like, it all falls into place. And that moment with her in the jailhouse carving the apple is just, there's a menace to it that is captivating the entire time. Um, I found that scene to be uh, among the best in the in the film as far as this kind of slower scenes go I, I thought it was the one that gave the fullest idea of this character being brought to life and really elevated her beyond just being you know the stereotypical well we have to have one woman on the bad guy's side because otherwise we can't have the two women fight at the end and we want the two women to fight because we don't want uh, it to be a woman and a man because of how that plays together because that's how cinema works um, and that that was a hell of a fight scene that Great was fight? that was a that was a fight. It was a good one. Um, I I will say that one was the one to me where I looked at James Samuel, who is the uh, director of this film. This is his first feature length film that he has directed, and I think you can tell through this film that he is experimenting with some things because there are moments in this film that feel very like Tarantino esque. Like at the very beginning, like the when the when the title starts to play, right, and you see the blood flying everywhere, like you get that like stylized over the top violence, and then you have the scene where Stagecoach Mary and Trudy are fighting, and it's much more grounded, it's much more realistic. You don't get the same kind of effects, you don't get the same kind of tone. Um, he's trying some things, and I I think that mix can work. I think there are places in which I wish that there was a little bit more stylistic cohesion. I don't feel like the film ever decided how graphic it wanted its violence to be, and it really feels like it changed from scene to scene. In times, it was a little bit off. But when it works it, as individual standalone scenes, it all works. Um, and I, I think it's one of those those things where you look at his, uh, you know, the fact that this is his first feature-length film... I am fascinated to see where he goes next, and I am also very grateful for his music background because this soundtrack is so good. It's a really good soundtrack, and it it elevates all of these individual scenes we're talking about so well. There are. I'm glad you brought up Tarantino because there are definitely moments, particularly between uh, Rufus Buck and Wiley Esco, the the sheriff who's played by Dion Cole. Those two scenes where he 
like beats the ever loving shit out of him and you know knocks his teeth out of his mouth that is a very like tarantino kind of graphic scene and then uh towards the end where he goes in there with the dynamite and it just alba just blows him up that also was like a very visceral kind of tarantino just like blow something up and have blood go all over the place that's like right in my wheelhouse and um it did it had a lot of like those western kind of cinematograph uh tropes of like wide sweeping landscape shots which i i will say i don't think are as good as the film we're going to talk about in two weeks i think that the second film is much much prettier than this one and when we talk about that film you'll completely understand why we're kind of bringing up both of them in this aspect and comparing and contrasting them a little bit um but yes there is a very like there is someone in here that is trying to figure out exactly what they want this film to be. And I think a really good kind of interpretation of where he is as a director is the bank heist scene. Where Nat Love finally has to break the law because that's what Rufus Buck decrees in order to save Stagecoach Mary. You stole my money... I want my money back. I want and my and interest and interest. And they're like, which well, is more a completely different number than the number that he said that he needed previously. But don't worry about that. Um, that but how else are you going to convince him that he has to rob a bank? I got a quick question for you, Walter. Sure. Why does he need to rob a bank? He's not giving them the money anyway. They blow up the money when they get into town. There's absolutely no oh, reason that that oh. couldn't have been fake money. Oh, so so that was blatantly uh, that was blatantly uh, uh, covered up with that he couldn't cover his face. He had Nat Love had to rob a bank because it was not just about the money. It was about, as we get to the ending scene between Alba and uh, and Majors, as they discuss their father, killing the dad was not just about killing the dad. You're right. He easily could have killed Nat Love. He didn't need to let Nat Love survive. But his revenge was not just murdering their father. It was murdering their father and setting this new innocent child down the same path that he went but somehow nat love had avoided all of the violence torture pain anguish all of that other stuff that we are told off-screen rufus buck does and he ends up in prison for and rufus buck can't allow that that's that his revenge wasn't for nat love to just like live out his life and be fine other than this unflinching need for wanting to murder the people involved with the murder of his parents no 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 he was supposed to corrupt him he was supposed to be angry he was supposed to take that anger out on everyone so what can rufus buck do but force nat love to become a criminal to be put on a wanted poster he says in the scene where they're out in the woods before him and coffee go off to rob maysville i can't wear a mask I, I'm not allowed to wear a mask. And then that's even punctuated further when he tells the bank manager, who he's very polite to, it's it's like, hey, listen, we can do this the hard way where I kill everyone or the easy way where you just help me take the bags out. And he shakes his hand and says, I'm Nat Love. Because that was the bargain. Nat Love had to rob a bank. Not just 
get me an additional 10 grand or whatever. The real price to free stagecoach Mary was Nat Love needs to cross the line. He refuses to cross. Fair enough. I understand what you're saying with that, and I get it. Um, I I think, like, as far as him being on a wanted poster, he brings up at the very beginning of the film that he has twice the wanted price of the guy that he kills at the very opening with the scorpion hand. So, like, I don't know that that part's necessary, but I, I, I do get the idea of, like, uh, Rufus Buck wants him to cross that line and do something that makes him more like Rufus and, and try to, to lower that barrier. Because um, that's what we talked about be on- at the beginning, right? Is that Nat Love won't harm the innocent. And frankly, right. a, a bank, we can get into capitalism as evil talk on yeah, a different and, podcast. Yeah, and a bank but- from the white town, of course, which you know does its racist things so that it could feel more easily justifiable, which, of course, it would be. Like, I, I'm not saying that that's a, that's a poor choice, but, like, it's never presented in a way where, like, it feels like Nat Love is really breaking the spirit of his code or that the people that he is stealing from in that spot are people that we should be feeling bad for or empathizing with um, in a way that like his no hurting the innocence kind of feels like it should be. It really felt to me like the movie just wanted a bank robbing scene because all the good Westerns have a bank robbing scene. and We haven't had one of those yet. But it wasn't a good bank robbing scene. <laughs> it's it's a fine bank robbing scene. Oh no, it's not. Not not compared to not what a bank robbing scene is in a western. Come on. It's I I mean it I I yeah it's fine. I I I wish I'd um I wish I'd seen more from if, if you're gonna go that way then like really play it up and make it a moment. Make it hard for that. Make it something that he struggles with morally make it something that really eats away at him or make it so that somebody gets hurt that he didn't want to get hurt it's so clean and effortless because the movie knows that its runtime is already a pretty is getting pretty long and needs to keep going we lose the emotional impact it could have which only really leaves the um the the literal impact of the scene itself which as you point out is you know it's fine has a couple jokes it's not necessarily like the greatest bank robbing scene in western history um but a lot of this film kind of feels that way to me where you could like if you were to make a list of all of the genre tropes that a western movie has you could go down that list and every single one of them is going to get crossed off and maybe that's enough you know, maybe the idea of like, well, it's a well-executed version of that featuring a cast that typically was never put in those kinds of roles um, and therefore subverts expectations and allows for that to shine in a way that, you know, this cast does a good enough job with. I mean, I, I think the cast does a great job with. Um, if that's all you want the movie to be, then cool. I get, I get that. But like, there's so many better things they could have done with that scene. And, and to play off of the tone that you're talking about, I feel like that could have been elevated with just a couple small changes make to make it a little bit less clean for Nat, to have him feeling a little bit dirtier about it, to have it land in some way to really make it feel like that line being crossed 
matters. It didn't feel like it mattered to me. It didn't feel like it changed anything about Nat Love or his character and, or what he believes in or what he's fighting for in any meaningful way. And that's the point. Because him robbing a bank is not where he's supposed to cross the line in the course of the script. That's not, it's not it. He's not, he needs to be untarnished to that very moment where the revelation happens. And Idris Alba says, you're going to kill your brother. And that's the line that has to be crossed. That ultimately is the real tarnishing line, is the real corrupting moment for everything. Because at the end of the day, Alba, you know, talks about all of this stuff and that, you know, he was abandoned by their father and he went off to try and be a good man and he had to scramble his way up and he had to, to you know, crawl and, and, you know, be part of gangs and, and do all this bad stuff. But his defining moment was murdering their father. That's real. It was his vengeance. It was seeking his vengeance and coming to terms with the fact that he had to murder family. And that is now the decision that has also been placed into the hands of Nat Love. And ultimately, he he makes the same decision. They do the the uh, you know Han Solo and uh, and Ben moment from uh, Star Wars uh, Force Awakens, where you you know what you have to do. Ultimately, is you ha- you you promise yourself this is what you've lived your entire life for is to to get vengeance on the person that killed your mother and your father. But what do you do when it's your own flesh and blood, whether you knew it or not? What do you do when you get to that moment and it's your brother? That all of the bad that he has done to you in your life, and now we'll add in, you know, the gang war that has now happened here in in Redwood, you know, making you go rob a bank, beating your, your the love of your life, capturing her, all that jazz. When all of that hurt is laid on the table and you have the option to take vengeance on the person who did it, what do you do when it's your brother? And you can argue, okay, well, they didn't grow up together, they didn't know each other, they knew none of those things, so like blah whatever he's my brother who cares i never knew you easy you could write that off very simply but that's really the line that nat love can't or doesn't want to cross because that's the line that was crossed with him so if he is tarnished into that moment that moment doesn't hit as much because that's the first test go rob a bank show your face cross that line kill someone whatever and he doesn't you're right. It just slides right off him. It's too easy. He smiles. Everybody's polite to each other. He shakes the bank manager's hand like they just did a deal. Yeah. You lost, Rufus Buck. I, I did it. I did what you do, but I didn't hurt anyone. I kept my morals and my high ground. And then the gut punch comes in of, okay, but I'm I'm your brother and you have to kill me. And that, to me, is what makes that final scene so gut-wrenching because what what's love gonna do he he's not gonna let him go rufus buck would just turn around and shoot him in the head and be like oh well oh well i'll go on being you know rufus buck he has to kill him there is no other decision and to me that is the line that is the that is the finale that is the be-all end-all and the end of Nat Love. 
and and just don't rob the bank. <laughs> just don't. If the line does, if that line doesn't matter, then that whole scene doesn't matter. And I don't think it added so much to the film that it was necessary. And there are a lot of things that I wish were there that weren't that I would have rather seen. I, I don't know. I, I get where you're coming from in the idea of like. You want Nat Love, despite all of the violence that he and his gang have had to endure, despite all of the um, all of the choices, the tough choices that were made to that point. You want him to go into that moment and be caught blindsided by that understanding of family, and have that mean something. But you know what might have helped that. Is if Nat, oh, I don't know. I wanted to say that like Nat doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about family, but I, I suppose that he does have that one moment of like, well, I don't want any of you guys to come with me because I don't want you to get hurt. I care about you. Like that does happen. I, I, I just, I guess like family is not a theme of this film outside of the fact that it is very deliberately uh invoked in the very beginning it certainly is the catalyst for things but like i i don't know it 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 didn't strike me as the culmination of what the movie had been building towards so much as a twist that is meant to make what would otherwise be a very easy moment for nat a lot harder um and I, 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 I don't think it would have taken much for me to get to where you are. I don't think it was like, I don't think this film was far away from the movie I wanted it to be. And I, I do, I, I, am, I am nitpicking here to a certain extent because I think that there's enough good around it, uh, enough that I really enjoyed that I wanted to like it more than I did. But as, as things stand, I, I just like, I don't know, I can't help but feel like that bank scene is indicative of the film not wanting to fully commit to certain ideas and doing so in the name of this just the the payoff isn't worth the setup in in a couple of those moments that I I I don't know. I, I, I could have used some more complexity there. Uh, rather than the um, than the angle that they went with, but I I understand where you're coming from, and I I think that is entirely fair. I think that it is there a version of this movie where instead Nat walks away and doesn't shoot him and, and walks away and refuses to cross that line, and you have Rufus screaming at him, "Don't you walk away from me." you know, stumbling out of the house after him. Don't, you know, don't you walk away from me. Don't you turn away from me. And then he raises his gun and someone else kills Buck. Yeah! A- absolutely. The whole, like, what, why absolutely. was Koofy there? Like, Koofy is a, a character uh, that we haven't talked about yet, um, but is really good throughout the entire film. Danielle uh, Deadweiler does an amazing job uh, as kind of stagecoach Mary's guard at the beginning, who then becomes such a key part of the gang. They set her up being in the house so that she can take down Cherokee Bill. She's there. Like, if you're really going to set that up as the line that Nat can't cross, 
why is it when he like begins to walk away and Rufus does the, the shooting into the ground, come at me, like kill me already. Why isn't she there? That's the, you set it up. She's in the building. She was right there in this moment and could have done the thing that Matt couldn't bring himself to do. If that's the ending that you wanted, it was right there. Well, well there's two reasons. One, it, it's not the same building. They aren't it's, in the same. Is it not the same building? It's not. It's not actually the same building. They were in a different building. Um, okay. Well, then but, I take that back. Never mind. But, but but no, that's entirely reasonable. Like that's why I say why like Nat Love drops his gun and walks out of the building, and then you have them standing in the street and do the turnaround traditional like Wild West, you know, in the middle of the dirt street, who's gonna kill who? And then you could have had coffee or Stagecoach Mary. Or hell, you could have had um, Bass Reeves, the marshal. Like, he could have been the shot since, to him, like, he was almost more driven to cap- to take out Rufus Buck than Nat Love was. But you could have yeah. set anything of those up. But the reason you can't do that, and it has to be Nat Love, is because Trudy Smith is still alive. And you have the very, very end of the mo- movie, the very last thing you see is not confirming it's Trudy Smith, but her, you know, the dress color, it's obviously a woman standing there as the marshal and coffee go one direction and Nat Love and Stagecoach Mary go the other direction. Like, it's very clear they're setting this up for a sequel of some kind. And if Nat isn't the one who kills him, like, what is what really is going to be Trudy Smith's, like, real motivating revenge? Because... I am so on board with a sequel for this movie where Regina King is, like, the bad guy. Like, the top bad guy and is like, I am going to wreak vengeance upon Nat Love. I am totally here for that because she was awesome in this movie. So, I get that. I get why, like, you could add some more nuance to it. But, like we said, it's this director's first film. Like, hey, maybe you just pick a topic that you're really into, you really love... And the nuance and all the interesting stuff that you're doing is with the music, is with using a all-black cast, which I hate that from what I've seen, that's, like, one of the, like, big, like, first talking points is that it's an all-black cast because I'll I'll just leave that there because I don't really want to, as a white person, I don't really want to broach that subject because that's not my podium to talk at. Yeah, it, 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 we should be talking about it as a good Western, not qualifying it with... A, like, like it's important as far as, like, I'm glad that this film exists because it's representation in a genre that has been historically quite awful at that. Um, but I, I do feel like sometimes in a desire to put things into neat boxes um you can frame it in a way that takes away the film is good because the actors do a great job not because of you know like like because talented actors who haven't gotten a chance in this particular genre do an excellent job with it and i do think that how you frame that uh is important uh the talent and the work that these people put in should come first and we should be i think uh thankful that we are at a point now where we're able to get films like this greenlit with people that never would have been cast in this role 
not too long ago. Um, I look forward to the day in which this is happening regularly enough that it's not the thing that people feel like they need to bring up at the top. Uh, that's the real goal here, right? Is for this to be something that's more commonplace that we just can see it as a, a stylistic choice based on a talented cast rather than like a, um, I guess kind of almost like a fun fact, if you will, mm -hmm. like boiling it down to that, I think feels right. Yeah. A fun fact about this movie should be, uh, one of the screenplay writers is Boaz Yakin, who was the director of Remember the Titans. That is a fun fact. Uh, this yeah. is James Samuel's first feature-length film. Uh, Eddie Githegi was in-house as Big Love. Like, those are fun facts. Those are fun facts. Exactly. Fun facts. Um, but I do want to... I want to hammer back home one last time this discussion of the cast. Because mm -hmm. two weeks ago we did House of Gucci. And mm -hmm. I think if you look at like the cast list of big names, these are pretty comparable. There are big names in both of those movie in, in both movies. And those big names are all on screen a lot of the time together. And one of the criticisms we sort of had of house of Gucci was how these big name actors would chew the scenery. And sometimes it was good because it, it created these larger than life characters that the Gucci family is. And other times it was insanely distracting and you were sort of pingballing all over the place and didn't quite know where to look. I want to bring up the train scene in this movie because it would, it was very easy for Idris Elba on the reveal to completely overtake that scene and he is dead center he is wearing you know the prison garb so he looks different than everyone else it was very would be very very easy for him to completely dominate that scene and nobody else exists and yet regina king and lucky stanfield are just as imposing and that isn't it isn't just about rufus buck it's about rufus buck and Trudy Smith, and Cherokee Bill, and they are three parts of a triumvirate that are, you know, making what is about to happen, happen. Other scenes, you know, even when even when um, R.J. Seiler's on screen with Jim Beckworth, like, yeah, he's a little distracting. He's the clown. He's the comedy relief. But at no point when he's on screen does he completely distract you from what's going on, except when he gets shot in the back, because that's the point. He's supposed to distract you from Cherokee Bill. Just, boom, I cheated. I win. I'm faster than you. And I think House of Gucci will get more nominations for awards because their characters stick out more individually. But I would argue this is a better film when it comes to the acting because all of the acting is so cohesive and no one distracts or takes away from everyone else. Every casting decision was so meticulous and well done to create this choreography of actors where you knew, no matter how many of these stars were on screen, exactly where your eye was supposed to be in a given moment. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I would say is the greatest strength of this film is that it understands that Westerns at their best are ensemble pieces. They are at their best when you have, sure, you have your hero and you have your villain, but it's the people around them that enable them that create the moments that matter. Um, you 
that love would not be nearly as interesting if it were not for the depth that the movie does give Stagecoach Mary and due to the independence that ends up driving her decision to enter into town and initially kind of pull away from him. Uh, the dynamic there between the two of them evolves in a way that's fascinating, and it's because she gets the screen time to have that. Cupid, uh, another great example. She gets the time. Uh, someone who very easily could have just been put in a protector role. Like there's a real sense of character there. There's, a, you know, you feel a loss when she talks about how Beckworth was faster, despite giving Beckworth shit earlier on. You know. There's a, a journey that each of these individual characters kind of go on because they're all part of moving towards this ultimate goal that everyone buys into and believes in. And I think maybe that's the thing that, for me, creates an ensemble that I find more captivating than with House of Gucci. Um, I enjoyed House of Gucci, obviously, um, but I, I, I think certainly that is a film in which, like, because the Gucci's are a wealthy family in which each one is trying to kind of assert dominance over both the family and the company as a whole, there is a hard limitation in how far it can go. Um, but with this film, I, I think that because they're all working together towards a common cause, they're building each other up rather than trying to take spotlight and make their power play um, the power plays come in my group versus your group not me versus you there's no ego that gets in the way of the ultimate cause that both of these sides are working towards even if i think that the bad guys motivations could have been better established like it is very clear that they are on board for something that they are willing to strive towards um there's a, a belief that binds these people together, despite everything around them. And I think that that is great. And I, uh, I love to see that in a, in a Western like this. I think that's very important. And it certainly gets the film a much more positive grade than I would give uh, from the kind of uh, scripting issues I have alone. Um, very, all, all of the actors involved did a great job, honestly, uh, given that we're, like, as you mentioned, seems to be setting up for a sequel at the end, kind of bummed that they killed off as many characters as they did. That's something that I think makes a lot more sense if it's a one-off film. Uh, I'm going to be bummed that some of these people aren't coming back. Uh, I, I, we could have had more time with Cherokee Bill. We could have had more time with, uh, Jim Beckworth or Bill Pickett. Even Bill Pickett, we didn't talk about him so far because he's a little bit kind of the quieter one overall. But another, you know, Eddie uh, Gathegi does a great job, hundred uh, percent. Everyone here does. Uh, there's not a, a bad performance in the bunch, and there's not a uh, polarizing performance like Jared Leto. Um, they're all building each other up. They're all building off of each other. Um, so great, great acting. 
Well, the loss of all these characters means that it's very clear where the second one will go to. Uh, Nat Lovin, Stagecoach Mary, will have had a uh, child by then, probably a son. Uh, Trudy Smith will find them hiding out, well, not hiding out, but living in some other western town, enjoying an idyllic lifestyle, farming, maybe running a saloon, all that jazz. Uh, Trudy Smith will then kidnap their child, uh, and uh, Nat Love will have to go find uh, coffee uh, along with some of the new friends that he's made in that town. He will have to teach them how to be outlaws uh, so they can go rescue his child and will ultimately end uh, with Nat Love dying and Stagecoach Mary killing Trudy Smith. There we go. I've written The Harder They Fall too. Please pay me. sure have. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, honestly, like I, I think that um, someone... Uh, just put this in a folder, put it in your back pocket. We'll come back a couple of years from now and see how long the money you are, because I think uh, you may have nailed it right now. <laughs> that, that may be exactly where this is going. Uh, with that being said, Chase, you brought up grades earlier. As we are accustomed to on this show, what is your what is your final say? What do you grade this movie? Uh, where do we go from here? I am going to give it seven clean headshots out of ten uh i think there's a lot i wanted more from from the film and if you're not a western fan or if you're a person who is tired of some of the western tropes i don't think that there is enough here to overcome some of the difficulties but if you enjoy western films and if you like this kind of like larger ensemble piece and some of the maybe more predictable elements of the narrative aren't something that bugs you, I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this film. I, I, I think this is probably the recommendation I would say varies the most based on who you are as a viewer, because I think there is an audience for this film that will love it, and there is an audience for this film that will be very frustrated by it. And I hope that Walter and I have given you enough info to figure out what camp you're in. Well, I'm going to give it uh, eight uh, saddlebags full of money and a half a stick of dynamite purely for the Idris Elba performance because I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I liked it a little bit more than Chase, obviously. Uh, but, you know, this isn't the only cowboy movie that's that's on Netflix. You know, there might be another Western movie we can talk about it. And uh, if you want to talk about any of those, you know, any of these movies that we've talked about, Chase... Where can the good folks at home find you? Uh, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. And uh, don't forget, uh, if you're interested in our gaming podcast, the first episode of that will be coming up next week, Steam Cleaners, uh, which you can subscribe to on all of your favorite podcast apps. Or if you're watching this on the Rough Drafts feed, then it'll pop up in your feed just like every other podcast that we're going to be doing. Exactly. And if you haven't had a chance to go ahead and just listen to, there's a little quick couple minute uh, blurb on there about sort of our uh, our plans for uh, 2022. Give that a listen. Uh, we got a couple of great, uh, you know, different styles of podcasts coming up for you guys. Um, you guys can always find me at C80s underscore LOL. And like I said earlier, there's another Netflix cowboy movie uh, that we have watched 
we will talk about and you can listen to in two weeks time right here on final cut and until then goodbye internet